Today's scripture reading is from John 20, verses 19 to 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when, the Jesus, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your, fun- Sorry. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Katie. If I were to say to you, what is a synonym of faith, what words would come into your head? Would belief, maybe, trust, perhaps? Um, Some of you might even think blindness, because faith seems like it's looking into something that is not there. And can we really actually believe? Or if I were to say, what's an antonym? of faith. Fear. Doubt. I think those are two that just rush to our heads, right? In this particular encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we see Jesus moving into the place of fear and doubt. Jesus walks into that place readily, looking for it, anticipating and becoming the answer to that fear and that doubt. Now, I know many of you, but I don't know what's going on in your heart today. I don't know what's going on in your mind. I don't know what anxieties you might be feeling, what troubles might have encou- you might have encountered this week. I don't know how long you've been walking with a struggle that might be going on, that you've been anticipating it to break free at some point, but it just seems to keep going on and on and on. And perhaps you're someone who has ended up here because you're looking for an answer. You've tried all sorts of other things and you're thinking, I've got to give this one last shot. Or maybe you're here and you've been walking this path all along, but somehow it feels like you're in a dark room and you keep crying out to the Father to turn on the light and He's not doing it. And so this idea of faith is hard to hold on to. And you have an antonym of faith running through your body and through your mind. 
I'm fearful, or I have doubt. And so today I hope that we see as we encounter the resurrected Jesus that he provides himself as the answer to those things. And how great it is that it is among those who walked with him the most closely. How great it is for us that it is those who were most intimately involved in Jesus' ministry and life and movement. That it's those that are experiencing faith and doubt. It's not some hangers-on. It's not just those peripheral. But it was those that had heard him speak, had watched the miracles, had been present in resurrections of Lazarus, had seen how he had care and compassion for those who were pushed off. And yet still, after the crucifixion, where do we find them? Locked in a room. Afraid that the Jewish leaders were going to come and get them. And take them off and kill them. They literally were afraid for their lives. I think some of you here are probably fearful for your life as well. Maybe not physically, but spiritually and emotionally. You think, I just can't have another thing happen. I can't have something that I might put my belief in that fails me. It'll be the undoing of me. And so Jesus comes in. He walks into this place, through a locked door, mind you, and appears to them. And they see him there. And Jesus' first response to them, the thing that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, brings immediately is this word. We see it happen three times in this passage. Peace be to you. He shows up and Jesus says, the resurrected Christ, peace be to you. And he quickly shows them his hands and his side. And at that moment, they recognize that this, in fact, is the resurrected Christ. This is the one who promised that he would do this. This is the one who revealed himself to be the Messiah. And here we are locked in a room because we're afraid for our lives, yet he shows up and he doesn't say, you cowards. He doesn't say, you 'er ne'er-do-wells. He doesn't say, you forgetful disciples. He says, peace. Now, the reason why the Christ can say that is because he's present in the room. Because he is there and he knows that he is the answer to their fear. He knows he's the one who will provide them that peace. They respond in celebration, yet Jesus somehow probably knows that it's just elation at the thought that maybe this is real. Right? That it's a faith that is somewhat surface. Why do we assume that? Because he immediately says to them again, as they begin to celebrate, peace be with you. You see, there's a sense that he doesn't want them to go, oh, this is great, Jesus is here, and then move to a place of fear again. And thinking, maybe we're having a mass hallucination. Do you see what I'm seeing? Are you sure that that's him? And so very quickly, as they're overjoyed with excitement, he says, wait a minute, it's not just about you having a happy, clappy feeling, right? It's not just about you having some experience that makes you think today's better. Jesus says, I want my peace to be everlasting for you. And so I will say it again, peace be 
to you. And so for those of us who are wrestling with fear, whatever that fear may be, hear Jesus say the resurrected Christ when we encounter him. He will continually and over and over say to us, peace be to you. Because we are forgetful types. We are those who will allow the troubles of the world to spin around and overshadow the peace that God brings in Christ. But Jesus is also smart here as the creator, as those who, the one who knows us most deeply. He says, I can't just leave you in this place of peace. Because then he gives them purpose. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this purpose is. This is sort of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen for these disciples. He's getting ready to release them out. But he gives them a little foreshadowing. And and the wording seems very strange to us, I will say. But he looks at them after he says, peace be with you again. And then he says, as the Father has sent me... I'm sending you. So as as God the Father has come here in Jesus, I am saying to you, I'm going to send you out as well. Now, why did the Father send Jesus? To show himself completely. Why did the Father send Jesus? In order to bring reconciliation and salvation. And so he's saying, I'm sending you out to bring the message of the kingdom of God to those that are far off. That I want you to have peace, but I want you to see that that peace propels you with purpose. See, when we begin to move in the way God has designed us and created us to be, redeemed us and pushed us forward, then it becomes much easier not to ignore those things that bring us fear, but to properly categorize them in our lives. That those things that bring us fear aren't going to disappear Okay, It's not like they magically don't affect us anymore. But if we are moving about the purpose that God has created us for, then we have the ability through Holy Spirit to prioritize them and go, that fear is not primary, but the peace that Jesus, the resurrected one, brings is. And so he says, peace to you. I'm sending you out as the Father has sent me. But you can't do this on your own. And so he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He says, I want to give you the thing that's going to empower you. This is another reason why we know that it's not just experiential. It's not just a feel-good thing. That this empowerment comes from God himself. This empowerment comes with this connection of the Holy Spirit moving in the the triune God, the one who dances this beautiful thing that it's impossible for us to completely understand. And Holy Spirit comes and then empowers the work that's going to happen, the purpose that we have. Holy Spirit says, I'm more than an experience. I'm more than knowledge. I am the living Christ living within you. The resurrected one giving you all grace and mercy and truth, continually testifying to you who you are so that you can prioritize peace above those fears. And then Jesus says this. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, They are not forgiven. 
Now this is sometimes for those of us who are preachers or those of us who just happen to be reading the word that we have to go, maybe I'll just skip that part. Right, because it's hard to, what, what actually is going on here? What is Jesus saying? One of the benefits of the groups of churches that we're involved in is they require us to look at the, 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 the original languages that things are written in. That's a good thing. I'm not saying you have to do that to be able to preach, but I'm saying it's helpful. And so when you go back and you look at the Greek of what's going on here, what it was originally written in, those things that they found and translated then multiple times through English, through various different people, and the way that God can only work to bring it to us today, we recognize that the kind of tense that is used here, and the kind of tense that is used in those verbs, that forgiving, those you forgive will be forgiven, and those who you don't will not, is that it's actually a past perfect. It's something that's been accomplished. And so what he's saying here is you're going to testify to what has already happened. That there are those who are forgiven because they've heard the message of forgiveness and they are then forgiven through Christ. Or they have heard it and not responded to it and so they are not. So he's not empowering them to say good, bad, good, bad, so like some cosmic Santa Claus. Right? What he's saying to them is, I'm empowering you to call forth the kingdom of God of those who are saved and those who are not. Those who have heard the message and responded in their hearts to the truth of what it is and those who haven't. And by doing so, you affirm those who are and you encourage and plead with those who aren't. It's not that we see those who are aren't, who haven't responded, and just write them off. It's that we know then that we must proclaim in word and action all the full counsel of who God is and how he worked through Christ, the resurrected one, so that their fears can be allayed, put aside, as they encounter the person of Jesus and his mighty grace. And mercy. Now, just a, 10 of them were there. And Thomas wasn't. And so they find Thomas a little bit later and they say, The Lord has appeared to us. And Thomas says, Nah. Unless I put my finger where those nails were or put my hand in his side, I will not. Today, there seems to be, uh, in Christian cycles, if you look at Twitter and other things, an epidemic of deconversion, of people who have at one time believed the faith but have run away from it. In the last few years, there have been multiple celebrity-type Christians who have said, yep, I no longer believe. And people look at it and say, that's a new phenomenon. It's actually not. It's happened for years. Anytime somebody becomes a celebrity Christian, it tends to be that way. Now, one of the things that's happening there is a movement of doubt that is not met in the resurrection of Christ. Now, we have to be honest. 
the image of Christ that is the church, the very body that is moving and doing the work of Christ, sometimes we're pretty bad at it. Sometimes we're pretty awful and we cause hurt and despair in people's life instead of bringing hope and mercy and truth. And so it should not surprise us that there are those who have said that they have fallen in love with Jesus who have been hurt in some way by the church that says, if that's Jesus, then I don't want to have any part of it. But as those of us who are walking in the peace of Christ, we too should say, if that's anything like Jesus, I don't want to be a part of it. And that's what Jesus does here. It starts with doubt. And instead of shaming Thomas in that doubt, he comes to him to bring him proof. Now, Katie did a wonderful job reading this. But even in reading it, still her tone matched a little bit of, I think, what we hear in our minds when we hear what Jesus says. Jesus shows up, the disciples are there, Thomas is present, and he says to them, peace be with you. Now, why do you think Jesus said that? Look up above. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were Locked. Come on, guys. So he shows up and he says, Ah, peace be with you. Prioritize your fear. Put it where it's supposed to be, underneath the fact that I, the resurrected Christ, have dealt with it. And then he looks at Thomas. And he says to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands, reach your hand in, and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. And I think sometimes in our minds, because either as parents we've been this way, or as children we've heard our parents speak to this, us this way, we almost hear Jesus saying, stop doubting and believe. <laughs> like in some ways, the resurrected Christ is exasperated that he has to show himself to this man who's been walking with him over and over again the fact that he is in fact the resurrected Christ. And so we hear it as if he's saying, stop doubting and believe. But remember, Jesus just before talking to Thomas says what? Peace be to you. Anyone who is bringing true peace, anyone who is bringing peace in order to make someone whole cannot switch at that moment to condemnation because they know that it is antithetical to that peace that they're wanting to bring. And so here we see as if it is Jesus teaching Thomas to say your belief is real. It is tangible to you. Thomas, I love you. Stop doubting and believe. Don't prioritize your own empirical understanding, but prioritize the resurrected person of the Christ. 
Now, that does not mean that doctrine and evidence is not important for us in this place. It absolutely is. If it wasn't, I wouldn't be preaching from this Bible every Sunday. I'd just stand up and try to come up with some feel-good story for you and send you out on your way. Because that's all you would need. But that's not true. That's not the truth. We need to know who Christ is. And we learn that through the word as we talked about last week. And in that we discover the mighty works of God and how he pursues us in his steadfast love to make us complete in our knowledge and grace and mercy of who he is so that we can become who we are. And so he answers him. Go ahead and touch. Jesus provides the opportunity for evidence. He says to him, please, touch my hand. Put your hand in my side. Now, we don't know if Thomas does that. It doesn't tell us whether or not Thomas does it or doesn't do it. Some would say he doesn't, and we know that because he cries out, my Lord and God. Like, you are the creator, you are the mighty one, and not only that, you are the Messiah, the Almighty, the one who reigns supreme. You are the one true living God. And how would anybody who said that be one who would have doubted even at the moment that Jesus said, try it? Or, he might have. (laughs) He might have said, yep, I'll take that bet. And reached over and felt the side and touched the hands. Here's the thing. We don't know. But what we do know was that in that moment when Christ said, I'll provide you all that you need to believe, to have faith. Thomas has faith. Thomas steps into that faith and proclaims very clearly You are who you have always said that you are. And you are the one who brings salvation because you are the Lord. And so for us who are struggling today with our fear and our doubts, hear very clearly in an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that your fears are not fatal to your faith. That your doubts do not damage your relationship with Jesus. They can. (laughs) There's a place when we prioritize them over our walking with the resurrected Christ. Our hearing him speak to us, peace be with you. That it can damage that. It can nick it. But Jesus is constantly moving through our locked doors where we're like, let's just keep you out so that we will encounter him completely in who he is. And if we're not assured of that, check out this promise. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. 
We don't have the privilege of seeing the physical embodiment of God incarnate in Jesus Christ. So how do we believe? Because that same Holy Spirit that Christ blew onto those disciples is the same Holy Spirit that resides within us, outside of us, moving us to that place of belief, that great gift of faith that God himself gives us. That's the reason why we know it is strong and assured. That's the reason why we know in the end it will always defeat our fears and our doubts. Because even though we've not physically placed our hands on Christ, he has allowed his body to gather around us and walk with us so that in our faith journey, in this place where we're moving towards our wholeness and completeness in God, we never do it alone. We are walking with one another, reminding each other that Christ has said to us, peace. Father, let us hold on to that. Let us know that our encounter with you as the resurrected Christ gives us the ability to move away from doubt and fear. But they do not disqualify us from our relationship with you. If they did, you'd never walk through those locked doors. But even through those, you move us so that we can know your peace. God, if there's anything that I have said here today that's not from you, let it burn up and fly away. But if there's something that is from you, let it take root in our hearts to bring you glory and honor and praise and to propel us to do the good works you have called us to do. Through Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Let us now stand up and sing.